this time, we're also going to dismiss the kids to go to Children's Church. And since you already have your wallets out for the offering, we're going to also pass around the Peterson and Daphne jar. Uh, for those who don't know, these are a couple of young kids that we sponsor out of Haiti. So Tessa's just going to stand there long enough till people start waving money at her. And uh, if you don't start, she's going to keep standing there. Oh, look, my, Mr. Mike's right there. He's even pissing at you. Grab your Bibles, turn to the letter of Colossians, if you would, please. A lot of you guys are regulars here, and when you walk into a place where you are a regular and you see something that's slightly off, do you get intrigued at all? Does your interest get piqued? Yes, a couple things. Yeah, there's something slightly different in here. There's, There's a table with blue on it. And there's obviously some sort of box type thing on top of it. And there's a microphone. Uh, what's in the box? Anybody know? It's, it's not moving. It's, it's not a puppy. Okay. A key? Uh, you, still, you still got money, don't you? You're not, you still got money. You're not raising your hand to answer my question. Uh, how would we find out what's in the box? Well, we open it. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the easy thing, right? We'd take the tablecloth off. That also would be the easy. We don't want to go the easy route this morning. Um, I'm going to have Don come up, and he's going to describe what's in the box for me. Uh, I know that guys typically have this amazing sense of uh, explanation and uh, detail, and uh, so... Don is going to take a look in the box, and he's going to, he's going to tell us, he's going to describe what's in the box. That's awesome. Any guesses now? It is kind of a cylindrical object filled with dirt and something growing out of it. Interesting. Keep going a little bit more. Because we, we got, you know, 85, 90, 95 people in here that might start getting an idea in their head as to what's in there. It has uh, different colors, and it has a stem. Okay. Okay, good, a stem. So we're getting, so it, any, what, kind, what kind of colors do we got? We have red, green, and kind of a tannish brown. Ah, do we got some ideas as to what it might be? Cody? A rose. A rose. Sage? A flower. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you that. Okay. It is a flower. Uh, with Don's description, though, we're, we're still not quite sure what type or what's in here, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking Don's ability to describe, but we could get somebody else up here and they could do something very similar. Do we need to add anything? You're good. Thanks, good. You're good? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So right now, in your minds, if we were to have you draw a picture, how many different pictures would we get of what's in here? A whole lot. So how are we gonna? How are we gonna like truly together know what's in here? The second opinion, third opinion, some, something like that. What? What if? What if we did this? Okay, so we're just going to, no, not yet, can't see it yet? 
Okay, I'm going to come back around. For those who are listening to this online, our friends from all over the world, we are holding a mirror up behind this thing that Don so wonderfully described. Anybody not see it yet? You, you still haven't seen it yet? No? Better? Take it out of the box. That would wreck my whole point. Yeah? No? Okay, so for some people, they may not ever fully understand. Here's my question. Raise your hand if you saw the object that was behind there. You're all wrong. You, you didn't see the actual object, did you? No, you... You saw a reflection of the object. You saw a visible reflection of something that we can't see. With that in mind, listen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 begins like this. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Apostle Paul wrote in this letter to the church in Colossae, the letter to the Colossians, he wrote this in chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So what does this look like? What is the image that God himself is wanting to show us about himself through Jesus Christ? I would argue that God is wanting to show us an image of supremacy. We started talking about this last week. Through Christ's supremacy, God is trying to reveal something about himself. Now, I will give you a heads up that this morning as we talk, this idea of supremacy may be slightly different than we're expecting, or at least slightly different than people outside the church would normally expect. Before we go more, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you have given us Jesus and that in him we can see you. Father, we don't fully understand what that means. For some of us, we may look and look and look and still not get a good picture. For others, it may be very clear. But God, this morning I ask that a clarity would happen, that we would understand more of who you are because we have seen glimpses of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christ is supreme. He's preeminent. There's a supremacy of Christ. That's what this book, this letter is all about. And last week we kicked off this sermon series that we've titled The So What of the Supremacy of Christ. And we said last week that if Jesus isn't first in your life, then something else is. 
If Jesus isn't first in your life, then something else is. And, and we said he needs to be first. It's important. It's vital. And we gave you three reasons. First, if he's not, you're breaking the first commandment. Don't put any idols before God. Second, our, our passage told us that Christ is head or first of creation. So if he's first in creation, he should be first in our life. And finally, we said that Christ is first in the church. And if he's first in the church, he should therefore be first in our life. So Christ is supreme. He is first. If you remember last week, I, I talked about asking people what they thought that word supreme meant. And I gave you some of their words. Words like big, grand, vast, powerful, large, extreme. Now, when we think of God and this supreme being, as some people call him, so often we, we think of images of grandeur and strength and power and, you know, someone not to be messed with. When we hear God is supreme, we, we think of God on Mount Sinai, you know, thunder and lightning. Or God in the Ten Commandments, or not the Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues in Egypt, the hail, the gnats, the blood, the darkness, the death. We think of a supreme voice that speaks and things are created. And when I think of God as supreme, I think of fire from the sky of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or times where the Israelites were outnumbered greatly and yet God still shows up with these fiery chariots. I think of closed mouths of lions and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who don't even burn the hair on their arms. I think of a mighty warrior defeating the forces of evil. Are you following me? I mean, when I think of extreme, when I think of supreme and supremacy, that's what I think of. So in our passage today, I want us to wrestle with, is that the picture that God is trying to show us of himself? Is that what he wants us to come away with? So let's start. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. And this is the passage we dove into last week. It said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, a God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. We get to verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. In those few verses, do we see some vastness? Do we see some grandeur? We see some awe-inspiringness. I know that's not a word, but we're going to use it. Big supremacy. We see that. First in the church, first in creation, first in everything. And if we stopped at verse 18, we may keep that mental picture. But Paul doesn't stop his thought process there. He doesn't stop this passage there. He keeps going. And I think as he keeps going, he's saying, don't just think of God in huge, big, grand ways, but there's another way to think of him too. So we start that turn in verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And of course, this fits with verse 15, the visible image of the invisible God. And we get to verse 20. Through him, being through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I mean, looking at that, do you think supreme? Are we supposed to think of 
huge and, and unexplainable when we, we see words like peace and reconcile and blood. I mean, to a degree, yes, we should. But there's also another part of that that we're seeing. Again, through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself and made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, this word supreme means first. And what we're seeing in this verse is a picture of a God who is being revealed in Jesus Christ that is being first, that is being supreme in brokenness. It's a brokenness reaching out. A firstness in crossing a divide, a firstness in making amends, a firstness in sacrificial love that's beyond all of our comprehension. This supremacy of Christ, which God is making himself visible in, is still about being first. And I think in that verse, verse 20, God shows us three ways that he is first. So we'll start in 19 again and just go to the first part of 20. It says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ... And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. So reconciling. Through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. Now, in that passage, the word reconcile means to bring back. To bring back from a former state of harmony. It means to change from one thing back to another and to change it completely so that it's done, so that it's final. This reconciliation of everything that that the passage is saying took place was done, final, complete. And God didn't say, all right, I just started this reconciliation bit, but I'm going to come back to it later. There was no asterisk, no no fine print. And what was being reconciled? Our passage says everything, which includes humanity. Why would humanity need reconciling? Well, it began with an unfortunate incident in a garden with with a piece of fruit. And from that, sin and evil grew. And it grew so much so, in fact, just that initial fruit incident, it caused humanity to be put in, we could call it a different place than God, a different realm, a different kingdom. And God wanted to reconcile us out of this place back to the place he originally intended us to be. And we see this in Colossians 1, just a couple of verses earlier, verse 12 to 14. Paul says, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Reconciled completely from this state of evil and sin to the state of I'm now okay with God. I'm now in the ability to have a right relationship with him. And he did it in a, in a final type way. We saw throughout the Old Testament, God gave the sacrificial system and the people would come and they'd bring sacrifices and for a brief moment they'd be reconciled to God, but then they'd sin again and they'd have to come back and bring more sacrifices and it was over and over and over again. With Christ's blood, it's final. The reconciling is done. So Jesus was the first to make that reconciliation complete. He was the first to make that reconciliation complete. 
That's supremacy right there. Now, part of this reconciliation was the making of peace between God and everything, which is the second of the three ways God is revealing his firstness in this passage. Again, starting in 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. So peace with God. When we have that, uh, that whole sin problem come into being, and when it grew and grew and grew, humanity's animosity towards God also grew. The Apostle Paul mentioned this in another letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But then Christ comes. And he reconciles and he brings peace. And we get this in Romans 5 verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. You ever got into an argument with a friend? <laughs> You've never. Someday you will, Okay. Got into an argument with a friend and some words were exchanged and things said that were hurtful and, and you, you didn't want to be the one to go to that friend and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And your friend didn't want to come to you and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. So neither of you takes that first step to make peace. It was similar with humanity and God. Similar in the fact that there was wrongs that were committed. Dissimilar in the fact that it wasn't God at all. That was all us, all humanity. And yet, it wasn't us that came to God and said, I'm sorry. It was God who made the first move and said, I want to make this right. I want to make peace with you. So part of what we're seeing in this invisible image of God through the visible image of Jesus is a God who takes the first steps to make peace. And he makes peace by reaching out a hand. I mean, if you've been in an argument with a friend, sometimes that's the best thing you can see is that hand reached out because you know that peace is coming. This was actually the method that Christ used to make peace with us. A hand reached out, or we should say two arms reached out. We get to that at the end of verse 20. It says, through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. By means of Christ's blood on the cross, two arms that were outstretched, reconciling and making peace. When you see somebody beaten, hanging on the cross, do you typically picture strength? No. Might? No. Power? No. What you see is brokenness. And that actually is what we see in Christ. There is a brokenness on the cross, but there is a supremacy in that brokenness. There is a supremacy in that brokenness because what took place on that cross was so powerful that we can't even fully fathom it. We get to see that described by Paul in chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 of Colossians. It says, this includes you who are far away from God, you who were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, and yet now God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, and as a result, 
He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You jump to chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Paul says, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature, it wasn't cut away yet. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I I can't even fathom this, that I can stand before God holy and blameless, my record canceled because of what Christ did. What we're seeing on the cross is invisible made visible. It's a God who says, I will be first in reconciling, in making peace, in reaching out two hands to make sure this works. Supremacy and brokenness is part of the image that God wants us to see as he shows us himself in Jesus. So now what? So what? Right? That's the title of our, of our series, the so what of the supremacy of Christ. So what do we do with this? I mean, yes, it's, it's nice to think, wow, there was a supremacy in Christ. Yes, there's brokenness reaching out. But what do we practically do with this? Well, I'll suggest three things that we could do. You can take your pick or you can do something completely different. First is this. I would encourage us all to remember that we are all broken. We're all broken in some way. And it is from out of that place of brokenness that we may best display Christ. Okay, it's out of that brokenness that we may best display Christ. As Christians, if we're talking with a, with a non-believer and we said, man, I had a powerful word with the Lord this morning and he just met me and we spoke. And, you know, are, are they going to get anything out of that? Maybe, maybe not. But if we invite them into our brokenness, if we put down the facade of everything's good and we, we welcome them into the brokenness that Christ is with us, I think there's a better chance of them seeing Jesus. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. I think we could start calling out the brokenness we see in people, but showing how it's a strength. Okay, Because as we see Christ on the cross, there's a visible brokenness, but there is strength beyond all our comprehension, right? You tracking with me? So we can start recognizing some of the brokenness in people, maybe some of the, the weakness that they see, and we call out, we, we mention, we name the strength in it. Now, this is kind of confusing, so let me, let me give a couple of examples. And I asked Nathan Elena if I could do this uh, before service started. Uh, if you know Elena at all, you know that when she speaks in, in front of people, oftentimes tears come, right? And she, does, she doesn't necessarily like that. She may think that's a weakness, but if you're calling out a weakness and naming the strength in it, you're able to say, hey, those tears actually resemble passion, and they show us how deeply you care about what you're saying, and you are so moved in all of you that, wow, you see it? Naming the strength in that. Now, we do the same thing with her husband. We'll see if they clap for you too, okay? <laughs> if you didn't know this, Nathan can't. He just does not like to speak in public, 
okay? Bless his heart. You've heard him preach several times. He does not like to speak in public. There's a physical reaction, nervousness, sickness. I mean, it's like, oh, he doesn't like it. But because of that, Nathan, I can say to you that your, your purposefulness in word choice, when you speak, moves people and it grabs their heart because you are so intentional with what you say. You don't just get up and you're not flippant in saying things, but every single word you say is, is, is purposeful. And because of that, there's a strength and there's a power when you speak. Amen? Amen? Someone clap for him. You see what I'm saying? You find the, what, what people may see as the weakness and you, you find the strength in it. And sometimes that's all somebody needs. My, I've been thinking a lot about my father-in-law this last, uh, this last week, partially because this coming Thursday is when it's uh, his third year. Um, not going to look at you. <laughs> It'll be his third year from the, the third stroke that he had that ended up taking him. And I've been thinking a lot about that because of Anastasia and what she's gone through. My father-in-law was a strong man in many ways. He had positions in Wycliffe that... Uh, Positions of authority, uh, times when he had to say hard things, do hard things that affected people's lives. He had times where he had to go first, you know, this idea of supremacy. He had to make, make the first choices to go places. There was a lot of strength in him. You want to know the time I saw the strength the most? It was on a Good Friday service. He had had two strokes already that year. And we were here as a church, and we took communion that day. Somebody else served it, and I got to sit there and watch. And I watched as he got in line, and he shuffled up. He hobbled up with the rest of people, and I watched as he held his hand out. Okay, two strokes that, that had affected him. And he could barely open his hands, and his, his hand was shaking. And I watched as the person serving communion helped put the bread in his hand, the juice in his hand, and helped close his fingers. I saw more power, more strength in his brokenness reaching out in that moment than I'd ever seen before. He was broken, but he was reaching out towards Christ who was broken. And there is a power in that. There's a power in that. Find the strength in people and name it. The third thing I would suggest we do today is take communion together. Take communion because in this we are not just remembering uh, that our sins are forgiven. That's true. We're not just remembering that Christ was victorious. That's true. We're also remembering that he was broken. But in that brokenness, there is a supremacy. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to have Tim. He's going to come. He's going to play a little bit. And we're going to spend just a little time preparing our hearts for this time of remembering the supremacy in Christ's brokenness. The passage that we spent the last two weeks in is going to rotate through on the screen a few times. Pray over that passage. Thank God for, for him being first and powerful and mighty. And thank God also for him revealing himself in Jesus in weakness, in humanity, in brokenness. Spend time just readying yourself to take communion. I'm going to pray. We're going to have this time, and then I'm going to pray again for the elements. And at that point, I'll have us all come forward. And we'll come from the middle aisles. Take the bread and the juice. You can take it up here. You can take it back to your seat and take it. But we'll go back around the outside and then get back into you. During that time, Tim will play quietly. Um, when we do start, we'll have the worship team come first and take it because they will start a couple of songs uh, as we're taking this. So let me pray. And then we will have some time reflecting.
Jesus, I can't, I can't put into words what it, what it must have been like for you. Part of this trinity of forever. To be able to say, I'm willing. I will go. I will take on a human body. I will become like them. I will live in their neighborhood. I will walk with them for 33 plus years of my life. I'll exhibit miracles. I'll heal. I'll raise the dead. I'll touch. I'll comfort. I'll care for. But God, in all of that, I can't even fathom you saying that I'm going to choose to be broken, to demonstrate my strength to this people through blood on a cross. I can't wrap my mind around it, Lord. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the image we get, for the understanding, Father, that we get of you through Christ as the visible image. God, we're a broken people. We recognize that. We admit that. I ask that you would help us minister out of our brokenness. I ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the brokenness in others and the strength that it may be. Father, I ask as we prepare our hearts to take communion that you would allow us to see the supremacy of Christ in the bread and in the cup. So ready our hearts for this, Lord. Ready our hearts.